My name is Kevin, Kevin Guido. I am the online pastor for Fresh Life. My wife and I also lead uh, our Fresh Life Jackson Hole campus. And so just want to take a moment to say hello to everybody watching in our gatherings at campuses, to everybody watching in watch parties and homes and everybody watching online. So glad you're here. Everybody, come on, let's just welcome our church gathering together, and I absolutely love it. It is such a beautiful thing. Um, hey, today we are going to be in Genesis chapter 12. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and get your Bible turned there. If you don't have a Bible or you don't own a Bible, we'll put some uh, the, the uh, scripture up on the screen so you can follow along with it. But um, I have the incredible opportunity and privilege to be able to speak on uh, behalf of our church today, to be able to speak God's word. And uh, one of the things that I absolutely love about Pastor Levi and Jenny is that they are a couple that, that don't just get up here and teach these things. They are a couple that live it out. And I think that's pretty rare to see somebody who, it's one thing to say something, it's another thing to do something about it. And uh, I just love that they're the type of couple that uh, are leading the charge in our house, not only with their, their actions, or with their words, but also with their actions. And so I love that I get to stand on their behalf today and, uh, and teach from God's word. So huge honor, love it, absolutely love it. Um, I, uh, I think you would be baffled and amazed if you got a, a phone call from me and you looked down on your caller ID and saw that you were receiving a phone call from Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's like 505, what is the 505? Well, the 505 is crazy, y'all. Um, the thing is, I've had the same phone number for 20 years. I got my first cell phone because my roommate refused to get a landline for our house, and I needed to be able to communicate with people, and so I went down to Sprint, and I bought my flip phone, you know, and uh, it's awesome. It wasn't, it wasn't a Nokia. I went, you know, new technology. You know, you flip it open, and it answers the phone call, and it was sweet. And, uh, and so I got this phone, and... Um, and uh, I have not abandoned it. The thing is, I've, I've ported it over to three different services, from Sprint to Verizon to AT&T, and here we are today. You know, if, you sh if I shoot you a phone call, it's coming from a 505. The, the thing is, my phone number has almost become a, a greater part of my identity than my social security number. And so I have no intention on changing it ever uh, because it's just what it is. And uh, I had that phone number because at one point I was living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was living in the downtown area over um, by the university, and so it was everything that you would probably imagine university, downtown life in a big city like that would be. It was kind of sketchy, you know, late at night, there's hooligans running around, stuff going on, and it just, what it, it, it is what it is. And I was living in this little house on Maple Street, this rundown, super old house, and, um, and I remember sitting on my couch, which was on cinder blocks, because I guess in college, that's a cool thing. That's what you do. You put your couch on cinder blocks. Now it's a cool couch. And uh, I was watching TV, and I uh, was e eating some chicken nuggies from uh, McDonald's, and my phone rings. And I looked down, and it was coming from an 800 number. And now back in the day, you know, the spam game wasn't as crazy as it is today. Nowadays, it's like, ah, if it's important, you can leave a message and I'll get back to you. But back then, I was like, oh, let's see what it is. So I flipped open the phone. I answered. I was like, hello. And the guy on the other side, he says, hi, um, my name is Jerry. I'm with Dell. And um, I would like to speak to Kevin Guido. 
And I was like, oh, well, that's me. He's like, excellent. Hey, just wanted to let you know, this is a courtesy call. Um, we received an application for financing for a Dell computer from you and just wanted to make sure that, um, that you were the one who filed that out. I said, well, first problem, your boy, Kevin, um, would never buy a Dell because I jumped on the Apple train a long time ago, and I'm not getting off that train either. And so um, second thing, no, I did not fill out that application. And he's like, oh, uh, well, good to know. Um, I'm sorry to inform you that your identity has been stolen. And um, what you need to do now is contact the authorities, contact your local authorities, let them know that your identity's been stolen. And then what we'll do is we will actually compile your full credit report. We'll send that to you so that you have that, and then you can just check for errors and make sure everything is good to go. Um, so sorry to let you know that, but um, have a great day. I'm like, wow, have a great day. Okay, yeah. So I call the authorities, I call the police, you know, hey, Kevin Guido, my identity got stolen. They're like, I guess we'll file a report and we'll let you know if we hear anything. Like, what do you do, you know? And so then that was, didn't go anywhere. And, and then I end up getting my, my file. Now, I don't know if you've ever received your full credit report. This is different than just like logging onto your bank account and seeing like the little, you know, meter that's like, you're bad at money, you're good at money, or whatever it is. And, and, and this, this was amazing. I had no idea that this document existed. It was a document that literally had every address I've ever lived in, every phone number that's been associated with me, every vehicle I've ever driven, and every state that I've ever lived in, however many miles I've driven. I mean, it was astronomical, the amount of information that was on here, and so much information that there was were, there, there were stuff on there that I actually forgot was a part of my, my past. I was like, wow, I actually did live in that place. I actually did bank at that bank. That is wild. And, uh, and I'm reading through this, and it's, and it was kind of like a cool trip down memory lane until I got to this one address that didn't make sense. I didn't recognize it. And I was like, that's, that's not right. And, and so I looked it up, and it, and it turns out that it was an address that was several blocks down from where I lived in Albuquerque. And so what I did is I gathered some friends and some accessories, like a club and a mace and a morning star and a dagger and showed up at the house and knocked on the door and waited for the person to answer and said, hey, um, are you Kevin Guido? And they said, no. And I said, because I am. And then we, no, we didn't. I wanted to so bad. I wanted to so bad, but then, you know, I'd be in jail and I wouldn't be talking today and we wouldn't be able to experience this time in God's word together. All that to say, it's one thing to have your identity stolen. It's an entirely different thing to have an identity given to you. And that's what we're going to look at today here in Genesis chapter 12. Um, Y'all, God is in the business of changing names. He is changing names and he's taking names? No, he's just changing them. He's changing, he's in the business of changing names. And we're going to start, I'll give you a little bit of backstory on this. Um, we're talking about a man named Abram. A man named Abram who grew up in Ur of the Chaldees and, and then his father moved his family down into this little town called Haran and, and um, he, over this period of time, had met a beautiful wife. That's The Bible goes to great lengths to explain the fact that she was a beautiful woman. And so um, Abram, hot on his game, married Sarai, his wife, um, the only problem is she was barren. She couldn't have kids. 
And so they could grow in every way possible, get plugged into their community, become a great business leader, you know, develop the skills of harvesting and flocks and all of these things. And they can grow in all these ways, but they could not grow as a family. The funny thing is, Abram's name means exalted father. That's the name. That's what Abram means. It means exalted father. And so you have this couple that are now living in this town, Haran, and they're just doing life for a long while. This is not a short while. This is a long while. They've been invested in this community when all of a sudden, God intervenes. And in verse 12, or in verse 1 of chapter 12, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here, here's the thing. If you're taking notes, God's dreams for you are so much bigger than what you could ever conceive of for yourself. So here's Abram, him and his wife, and they're living their life, and they're in this place, and, and, and they're doing their thing, and yet there's this longing. There's obviously a longing, you know? His name means exalted father, and, and they can't have kids. And, and so then you have Jesus who appears. You're like, wait, Jesus? I didn't say Jesus. What exactly do you mean by that? Well, here's the thing. Every appearance of God in the Old Testament, the physical manifestation of God in the Old Testament is actually Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So in the same way that Jesus would appear to his disciples after he rose from the dead, this is the same way that he's appearing to Abram in the Old Testament. It's always Jesus because Jesus was, he is, and he always will be. He is God, okay? So we have Jesus. Now, unless it specifically says that you know, God came to him in a vision, which there are moments like that. But in any moment where there is a physical person present, it is Jesus himself. The Bible will actually um, use the phrase, the angel of the Lord. And that would also be Jesus. It's called a Christophany. This is the, more technical than you need. Okay, so Jesus in the Old Testament shows up to Abram and says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to this place. I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your friends. I want you to leave your father's house. And I want you to go because I have a great dream for you. A dream that you couldn't even imagine. I mean, you think about like, even this. Think like, God's dreams for you are bigger than you could imagine. Look at, look at what we get to be a part of. Look at this church. If you were to tell my wife and I that 15 years ago, we would be a part of a little church plant that would grow into multiple campuses across the United States that would span the globe through online, that, that, that my wife and I would be able to, to do ministry under the shade of the Tetons in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that we would uh, be able to log on to our, our, our church online Fresh Life group and see people from from, from 
South Africa to Colombia, from Canada to Florida, from Hawaii to Australia, uh, through video conferencing, like it would be like, no, that's impossible. You, you, you can't do that. There's no way that that would ever happen because video conferencing belongs to the government. And at the time, the government could only do video conferencing. We didn't have access to that kind of technology um, until Apple, you know, comes in and saves the day, you know, with their, their technology. The thing is, this, the dream was bigger than what, than what we could have imagined. The, the dream was bigger than, than what I, I could have thought of in my wildest dreams, but that's just kind of how God rolls. His, his dreams are bigger than we can imagine, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily easier. So what was Abram's response? Look at this in verse four. It says, these three beautiful words, so Abram went. He trusted God. Jesus said, hey, I want you to go. I got plans. I'm gonna make it, I'm gonna make it so that you, so that all of the families of the world are blessed through you. And so he trusted God and he went. And it says, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was how old? 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 75 years old. So it's not like this dude was plugged into this community for a little bit of time. His entire life was invested in this community. And so for Jesus to come and say, I want you to go, that's a huge commitment. That's not a small thing. But he trusted God, and so he went. And, 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 and you gotta imagine like everything that he's known he is walking away from in this moment. So what was the result? Well, for the next 25 years, Abram and his wife Sarai go through a pretty rough patch where they're dealing with plagues, or they're dealing with um, um, famine, they're dealing with wars. Um, Abram's worried about people killing him in order to steal his hot wife. You know, even at 70, she's still hot, you know, and he's that worried about, you know, her. And, and, um, and he, they, they make some questionable decisions about life. And, and, and at one point, even Sarai, she, she is holding on to this promise that God gave Abram, but recognizing the fact that she can't provide him with a son. So she actually takes matters into her own hands and says, hey, why don't you take my handmaiden and you know, have a baby with her, and then God can fulfill this wonderful plan that he has for you. And, uh, and then it, it, they, he did, he, or, you know, Abram did, and they had a kid, and then Sarai got really bitter and jealous toward her, and it was just a mess. It was a huge, huge mess. So 25 years that they have been en route to what God has called them to do, and then God shows up again. And in Genesis 17, so we're going to jump forward a few chapters. In verse 1, it says, when Abram was 99 years old. Okay, so 24 years. Sorry, bad math. Abram was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I might take my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, as you should, before God Almighty. And God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you. You shall be the father 
of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. God called Abram to this crazy dream for him, and Abram trusted Jesus in it, and the result was God gave Abram a new identity. He, he changed his name. He changed his name from exalted father, Abram, to father of many nations. That's a pretty significant change in name. I, I just wonder, Abram growing up with this in his heart and this in his identity and who he is, uh, I, I wonder this dream that God is breathing to life that seems impossible under his current circumstances. And it makes me think, what dreams is God whispering into our hearts now? What dream has been kind of spun up in your heart that maybe you thought, I missed my mark, or I'm too old, or I can't do it, or life circumstance won't allow this to happen. What, what dreams has God put inside of you? Because I think if we would just trust Jesus in that, we could see amazing things happen. The only thing is, yes, he trusted Jesus in this. The only thing was, he can't have kids. His wife cannot have kids. But then God adds to that. So after he changes his name, he says this in verse 15. It says, and God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face, second time, and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael, that was the, the little control moment that Sarah, Sarai had, um, Ishmael might live before you. That was her handmaiden's son to Abram. God said, No. No. But Sarah... Your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. You know what Isaac means? He who laughs. It's like, you laugh right now. I, I, get, I, I can see this is far-reaching. This seems pretty intense. But you're going to have a son through your wife, and I want you to name him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So you can imagine like what it would be like for Abram to come home from work that day. And maybe Sarai is in the kitchen, you know, um, getting some dinner ready, you know, making some soup um, because, you know, soup is so delicious. And, uh, and, and she's asking Abram, hey, so how was your day? And he's like, well, um, I spoke with God Almighty today. And she's like, oh, Okay, well, last time we experienced this, you know, we encountered a great move of our life and 25 years of hardship. Oh, so what exactly did he say? And he's like, well, he changed my name. Now, you can imagine if you put yourself in Sarai's shoes, 
there, there's probably a sense of relief that could come from the potential of what this name would be. Because if your husband's name is Exalted Father and you can't bear him a son, then this, the idea of a name change actually sounds pretty cool. And so she's like, well, what did he change it to? He says, well, he changed it to Father of Many Nations. Okay, so that's how we're going to do this, you know? Father, he, he, he changed it to Abraham. He told me that I would be, that we wouldn't just be a great nation, but that we, I would be the father of kings of many nations. And if, and if you're Sarai in that moment, it, it might kind of feel like God is just like rubbing the salt in the wound, you know? Like, come on, like, how much more can I take? I mean, it, do you not want me to be a part of this incredible plan that you're doing? Because I seem to be getting in the way, God. I'm not getting any younger, right? But then he says, no, but he, he said that he, he, he changed your name also. You can imagine her, what, what do you mean? What did he change it to? Well, he changed your name to Sarah. Sarai means princess. Sarah means mother of kings of nations. And I wonder if Sarah now believed it in the moment. I, I, don't actually, I don't actually think she did. God's ways, his dreams for you are bigger, but his ways are better. But this way doesn't seem simple, right? It doesn't seem tangible. It doesn't seem possible. It's, it's, it's a better way. It's not simpler. Simple would have been Ishmael, right? Hey, look, you already have a son. His name's Ishmael. Let's go ahead and do that. Abraham, Abraham was like, I, I, I threw that out there, you know? I was like, hey, God, you know, I already have Ishmael. And he was pretty vehement. Like, he was like, no, your wife is going to have a son. And, um, and you, could, you just sense, like, that element of doubt. Like, I don't know if, 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 if this is really going to happen. I don't think she trusted that it would happen yet. And that's why Jesus visited them one more time. In chapter 18, verse 9, Jesus shows up with three other, or with two other angels. And, um, and, and Abram goes out of his tent and he sees them and he's like, oh, God Almighty, hey, hold on just a little bit. Don't keep going. Let me just go back into the tent, get some stuff. He goes in the tent. He tells Sarah, hey, you know, the Lord Almighty is outside. Can you make up some food? I'm gonna go kill a calf. We're gonna eat something. It's gonna be amazing. And it's gonna be a great time. And so she's preparing the stuff. He's getting some stuff together. He goes out and, and meets them. And they said to him, where's Sarah, your wife? And Abram said, she is in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent behind the door. I don't, so she wasn't making food, obviously. She was just listening. And now Abram, and, and now Abram and Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm wore out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abram, Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah 
shall have a son. And then I love that it kind of gets thrown in this little tidbit. It says, but Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. No, I didn't, I didn't do that. For she was afraid. And Jesus said, no, but you, you did laugh. <laughs> I know you did. And I think at that point, she believed. I think at that point, she started trusting. Like, okay, wait, hold on. There's no way. But you obviously know all things. And you know what's going on in my heart. Which means you know the struggles that I have in my heart. You know the hardship I have in my heart. You know the doubt I have in my heart. But I'm willing to trust you. And she did. The Bible doesn't say that she trusted. But I know she did. How do I know? Because they tried. 99 years old. 90 years old. God said, I'm going to have a kid. Let's just see what happens. And one year later, there she is holding her son, who was named what? Isaac, which means what? The one who laughs, right? And, and she's holding her son, and she herself is now laughing. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, it actually happened. I had no idea how he was going to do it. It didn't make any sense. This is crazy. This is out of control. I know my body shut down a long time ago, but God had a plan that was bigger than my dreams. God created a way that was better than anything I could have imagined because if it, if it would have just been normal, if she would have just gotten pregnant when she was like 25, there would be no miracle there would be no power of God in it. You wouldn't see just how amazing the story that God is writing in this. And he flips their identity upside down. I just wonder, what have you lost hope of? What, what if God has put these dreams in your heart, what have you let go of? Because you just you, you, you didn't believe that God can continue to do it. The Bible says that God's ways are not our ways. His ways are supernatural. His, his ways are crazy. What he does and how he works is unreal. And you see that in this, their life, their identity was flipped upside down. I, I, I think they, they, they were comfortable where they were at, but God gave them both more than they could have ever imagined. And, and I love that he did it through the changing of their name. I don't want you to be an exalted father. I want you to be the father of nations. I don't want you to be a princess. You're beautiful. Yes, that's awesome. However, I want you to be the mother of kings of nations so that the entire world will be blessed through you too. It's pretty incredible. I love I love their story, but their story doesn't end. So God was the one who named Isaac, right? He changed Abram's name. He changed Sarah's, Sarah's, Sarah's name. He, changed, he gave a name to Isaac, but then Isaac had two sons. What were their names? Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob and Esau. And we learned about them last week. Pastor Jeremy Foster, man, he delivered a crazy word. If you did not hear that message, you need to go back and listen to it because it was incredible. And he talks about Jacob, and he mentioned uh, just briefly about Jacob's name. So Esau and Jacob are twins, and, and they, Esau gets born first, 
Jacob is holding his brother's heel as he comes out of the womb. And so his parents name him Jacob, which means heel catcher, which means liar, which means deceiver, trickster. Yikes. <laughs> like, moms, if you're taking notes, don't speak that over your kids, okay? Like, that's just, that's a rough way to start your life for him to have this identity put onto him that this is who he is. But the thing is, Jacob lived up to that identity. He lived in light of it. There's a significance in, in your name. And so you have Jacob now, and there's moments where he's able to kind of finagle his way into what he wants. Um, his brother Esau, big countryman, you know, he goes out and, and, and he comes in after hunting for a long time, and Jacob sees the perfect opportunity for him to seize this moment. And what does he do? He tricks his brother out of a birthright. His brother's like, I'm starving out of my mind. I need our soup, you know, it's the soup again. And, and, and so he, Jacob says, well, I'll give you the soup if you give me, my birth, give me your birthright. And so Esau says, fine, have it. You can, I don't even care. You take my birthright, give me the soup. So he, he takes it. He tricks his brother out of his birthright. But then Esau realized what he had done, and he was frustrated that Jacob would do that, that he would take advantage of him in that moment. But then fast forward a little bit later, now, Isaac is so old that he can't see, and he calls Esau into his tent. Esau, get over here. Come here. So Esau comes in, and he's like, hey, so here's the thing. I'm starving. Literally, this is what the Bible says. I need some soup, so go get, you know, go hunting, and go make that soup that I love, and, um, and when you come back, I will give you my blessing." And so Esau's stoked, and he leaves, and he goes on the hunt. Meanwhile, Jacob's mom is listening in, and so she grabs Jacob. She's like, hey, you need to make that soup real quick because you need to take it into your father, and you need to take Esau's blessing. It's like, mom, wow, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is rough. This is a rough way of living life. But, but what, Jacob, the thief, the liar, the heel catcher, heel grabber, he goes with it. To the extent that it's like, he's going to know it's not me. My skin is smooth. My brother, he's all hairy and man-like and stuff. And so she's like, no, no, no. We'll just put some goat skin on your hands, on your arms. And so he goes into the tent and he says, uh, father, here I am. And he's like, who are you? And he's like, oh, it's Esau. I came with the soup. It's Esau. I came with the soup and I'm ready to give it to you. You know, and he's like, you sound like Jacob. He's like, come on over here. And so he comes over and, and he feels his arm. And he's like, well, you sound like Jacob but you feel like Esau, so I'm gonna give you the blessing. So he gives Esau's blessing to his younger brother. Two times, he was duped out of his birthright and now he's duped out of his blessing. And so then Jacob leaves with Esau's blessing. Esau then enters into the room. He's like, Father, I have the soup. I have everything that you need. And what, is, what does Isaac say? He says, who are you? He's like, I'm, I'm Esau. I'm your firstborn. Remember you told me to go get the soup so that you could come back and give me your blessing? And he's like, oh, I see what happened. I already gave your blessing to your little brother. Esau, he's not a little angry. He's murder angry. He's so 
furious. In the moment, he breaks down weeping. No, Father, please, if there's anything left, just give me anything. And he's like, I gave it all to Jay. I gave him all the blessing. And, and Esau is so frustrated. He, 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 he literally is like, I'm going to kill him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to physically kill my brother. So their mom gets, a, gets word of this. She grabs Jacob. She's like, you got to go. Like, just go. Don't marry, you know, like outside of our family. Like, make sure you find Laban and, 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 and go, you know, just you need to get out of here because your brother's going to kill you. And so he runs. He gets out of there. He's, he's gone. And for the next 20 years, he is working for his mom's family, trying to win a wife. He actually gets duped. He gets a little taste of his own medicine because he finds this one woman that is beautiful, Rachel, and, and it's Laban's daughter. And he's like, oh, um, what do I need to do to, to, to win your daughter? I, I, I want to marry her. And he's like, cool, just work for me for seven years. Jacob rolls up his sleeves, seven years, easy, let's do this. So he, he goes, totally worth it, finds out on their wedding night that he didn't actually give um, him Rachel. He gave him Leah, the other sister. He doesn't realize it till the next morning. Super angry, but, you know, kind of getting back what he had been dealt out. So he's like, you tricked me. What do I do? And he's like, okay, just work seven more years, and then you can have Rachel. So he works seven more years, but then he works six more years after that, and he just realizes, you know what? This is not a great relationship. I need to go back home. And so what does he do? He sends messengers back home to let his brother Esau know Jacob's coming home. And then he gathers up everything. So what's amazing is that God blessed Jacob through all of this. He multiplied his herds. He multiplied his prophets. He, he made him rich in so many amazing ways. And so Jacob sends this message. The messengers come back. And he's like, cool, did you, did you find Esau? Did you let him know I'm coming? And they're like, yep, we found Esau. And he's on his way here now with 400 men. So after 20 years, nothing's changed. And now Jacob knows that his brother knows where he is. And there's no escaping this. There's no way to get away from it. And so he starts sweating. He starts sweating. Because he knows his brother, he... He can't stand up against 400 men. How is this going to work? And so what he does, in the crafty, divisive way that he does, uh, he, he creates a way of trying to break down that barrier. So what he does is he, he takes a whole herd of sheep, and he sends those out. And then just a little while, he grabs a bunch of goats, and he sends those out. And he sends, you know, I don't know what else they have, camels, servants, you know, family or um, alpacas, whatever. And so they're, they're, they're going, but they're going in like little segmented groups. And, and he tells every one of the leaders of each one of those groups, when you run into my brother Esau and he asks who you are and where you're from, just tell him, oh, I'm from your brother Jacob and he has given all of this to you as a gift. So that every time he runs into another one of these groups of people, he hopefully is kind of breaking down. So Jacob sends everything he owns. He sends all of his possessions. He sends his wives, his family. He sends everything ahead. And then he's left there all alone, just by himself, just hanging out. And who shows up? In Genesis chapter 32, 
verse 24, it says, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Just a little while ago, we, um, actually it was actually last weekend, we were able to do a baptism in Grand Teton National Park. It was beautiful, amazing in this river coming out of the Tetons and just absolutely beautiful. And, and my wife and I, our family had been going through this moving transition and it's been really hard and, and difficult and we've been fairly disconnected from friends and family just frantically trying to figure out how to make life work. And there was a buddy of mine who came to the baptism and I hadn't seen him in like a month and uh, so he rolls up in his Jeep Wrangler and he pops out and, and, uh, and, and we walk over toward each other. I was like, dude, and he's like, dude. And so we're going in for, you know, bro, clap, double tap, hug. But he, does, he doesn't do that. He just goes full like around, around my shoulders, just like bear hug, you know? It's like, oh yeah, man, I missed you. And he's like, yeah, I missed you too. And then like at the appropriate time, you, you kind of let go. You just, I don't know how you know when it is, but you just know like you let go. So I did. But he didn't. He just kind of kept holding on. I was like, oh, it's one of those hugs. And so I like, you know, kind of barreled down a little bit more. I was like, dude, I miss you. He's like, man, I missed you too. Here we have Jacob. He's all alone. And it says that a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. He has nothing. Everything is gone. His whole world is falling apart. He's lived his life by this identity that has defined every action that he's ever done. And in this moment, it's probably like, this is it. And who shows up? It's not just a man. It is the man. It is Jesus himself. It is God. It is El Shaddai, the same God that showed up to Abram, the same God that called out Sarai, the, the, the same God that named his father Isaac. This God shows up to Jacob in this moment. And I think Jacob did what probably any of us would do in his brokenness, tears, heartache. He probably just wrapped his arms around him. Or maybe Jesus initiated. Maybe he was the one who went in for the hug first. And he, he, and he helped. But, but Jacob didn't let go. It says that they wrestled. I don't think it was so much that Jacob wrestled with him as much as Jesus was trying to wrestle Jacob off of him. Because he says this in verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, so if he's trying to get out of the hug, you know, and he can't, it says that he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said to him, let me go. This is God Almighty wrestling with Jacob. And he says, let me go for the day has already broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then something profound happens. Something profound, something crazy. Jesus says to him, what is your name? And Jacob said, Jacob, he'll catch her. Liar. Deceiver. I think it's easy for our life to be defined by what we hold on to. If we hold on to the fact that um, I've, I've had some stuff happen to me, 
and just hold on to that and just let that define you. Or maybe the self-made man, oh, oh, look at what I've created. Look at what I've built, you know, and let that define you. The best things that have happened to you, the worst things that have happened to you. And allow that to, to shape your identity somehow. But I don't think that's what God has for you. I don't think God wants your identity to be shaped by who you are and what's happened to you. I think he wants to, your identity to be shaped by the dreams that he has for you and the plans that he's laid out for you that don't make sense, that are amazing. Because he says this to Jacob. In verse 28, it says, Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Do you, do you understand the significance of this name change? Your name will no longer be liar. Your name will no longer be heel catcher, deceiver. Your name shall be Israel. The name of the nation that God promised Abram when he said, I will make you into a great nation. God literally, through this man, he ascribed to him the name of the nation that God had promised to his great-grandfather. He was given that honor that his name would be what is on a map on our world globe right now, today, this nation. And it's incredible because God, he wasn't, he wasn't finished with Jacob. Jacob thought this was the end of it. He thought this was the end of the line, that he, nothing was gonna happen from here. But God gave him a new name. And in that name, he fulfilled a promise, the, the, the promise to build a nation. And, and what's amazing, what blows my mind, is that in all of this, Jesus is simply paving the way for himself. Because in this, Jesus, Jesus is the one who, who told Abram what he was gonna do. And it was Abram who had Isaac, and, and Isaac was the one who had Jacob, and, and, and God obviously rescues Jacob in this moment. He actually re, re, restores and repairs his relationship with his brother. Jacob has 12 sons who end up being the 12 tribes of Israel, one of which is Judah, who the line of Judah would bear Jesus Christ himself. And Jesus would come to turn the whole world upside down. Jesus would come and change everything. Jesus would come to give you a new name. I tried to find my birth certificate. <clears throat> we lost it. I don't know where it is. Um, and uh, it's really interesting because on my birth certificate, it says my name, Kevin Paul Guido. The only thing it says issued in 1992. The only thing is I was born in 1981. And the reason why is because my name is not Kevin Guido, it's Kevin Watkins. I was born Kevin Watkins. And when I was about four or five, my parents got divorced and my dad just kind of bailed. He was out, didn't know him, didn't see him. I could count on like two fingers how many times I'd seen him over several years. And, and it's like he had just kind of bailed. My mom, my mom remarried a man named Seth Guido. And Seth Guido was just there. He was the dude who taught me how to fish. He was the dude who gave me my first pickup truck. 
He was the dude who made me install electrical outlets on job sites because he's an electrician. If you have free help, then you just utilize that, you know? He was a frugal man. And, um, and he became dad. And so what I do, I called him dad because that's what he was to me. That's what he was to me and my brother and my little brother. And him and my, mo my mom had had three other kids, my sister and my two other brothers. And, and at some point, God laid on his heart, what if I just adopt you into my family? What if I just make you into my son? And I remember sitting in the courthouse and the judge pulls me outside of the courthouse. We're very high skyscraper and, and uh, I'm looking out the window and he's like, Kevin, let me ask you, if you do this, your name will never be the same. It will be different. You will no longer be Kevin Watkins, you'll be Kevin Guido. Are you okay with that? And I thought about it and I was like, Yes, I'm totally okay with that. Like, that's, that's a, it sounds like a great plan. And so he's like, okay, well, if you're okay with it, then we're gonna do it. And so we walked back into the room and all the documents were signed. And then my name legally changed from Kevin Guido, or from Kevin Watkins to Kevin Guido. And I remember going to school the next day and you know, you have to write your name on the top of the paper and, and I, like you do it without even thinking. It's like K-E-V-I-N-W-A-T-K-I-N-S. You know, like it like rolls off. But this time it was K-E-V-I-N-G-U-I-D-O. And it felt so foreign and it felt so different. It was so wild. But that was my new name. I had be, been adopted. Abram, what did he do? He just trusted God. He just trusted what Jesus said that he would do. He would, he would do what he was going to do. Um, Sarai, ah, had a little hard time trusting, but eventually she trusted and look at what God did through that, right? She trusted God and he gave her this new name. Jacob, in this moment, he's like, man, I'm not letting go until you give me the blessing that I need to keep pressing on. Until you tell, you tell me what I, that, that I have a God that I can trust, that I can hold on to. And so he wouldn't let go. And then Jesus paves the way. He comes born of the Virgin Mary, lives a perfect life, dies the death of a criminal, goes buried into the grave and rises from the grave in victory. Why? To save you. Two, as the Bible says, in Romans 8, 15, it says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Dad. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Bible talks about this. The, the word adoption, it's a legal transaction. It's, it's, it's getting a new birth certificate that wasn't the one that you got the day you were born, but the one that was issued to you later on when your whole identity changed. And God gave you a new name. I don't know what you have been defined by in your life. I don't know what you've identified as in your life, if it was the rich dad or the poor dad or the one with resources or the musician or, I don't know, I don't know what has been the defining moment of your life, but God wants to change that right now. He wants to write a new story in your life by giving you a new name. Your name would no longer be what you have been, but it would be an adopted 
son and daughter of the king of kings. And the Bible even goes so far to say that if you trust that Jesus was who he said he was and he did what he said he would, that not only would you come into this family, right? Not only would you be adopted, but that God has a name reserved for you in heaven. It's talked about in Isaiah and it's talked about in Revelation that it's written on a white brick, a name that is exclusive to you and you alone. A name that nobody else will have that's reserved for you in heaven. A new name, a new identity, a new power to walk in. This is God's plan for you. This is his heart for you. His, guys, his dreams are bigger than you can imagine. His plan is better than you could ever conceive. And, and, and his, his purpose in you, his plan for your life is the best if you would just receive it. If you've not done that, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that right now. It's super easy. Uh, I'll just lead you in a prayer. But let's, let's just bow our heads. Let's all pray together. God, thank you for the power of your word. I love that you've given us um, this book, your love letter to us, to show us just how much you care. I love that we can read through these stories and see your heart, a heart that, that cares for us, that's there for us on our, our best days and there for us on our worst days, to carry us forward, to give us, to give us a hope to give us a life, to fill us with purpose and passion. Jesus, you're the one who paved the way for that, and we are so thankful. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve this kind of love, but we're grateful for it. And God, I pray that we would walk in this new name that you have given us, that we would live in light of the adoption of the new family that we have, that we would walk with purpose, that we would walk with passion, and that we would give you glory for everything that you do in it. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus the way Abram did, the way his wife did and his, his grandson, the way so many people in this room have, I wanna give you an opportunity to do that. It's so simple. All you have to do is say a prayer. It's an honest confession from your heart to God. And I would love to lead you in that. It's not some magical formula. This is just you speaking to God the way that Abram would speak to God. I was like, how, how would this happen? Did you, not, did you forget I'm 100 years old? No, this is just the honest confession. You trusting your life in his hands. And I'm gonna ask the church to join us in this prayer just as a way to say, you know, we're, we're standing behind you in this decision. decision. We, we wanna be there for you on this day to help support you as you walk forward, walking alongside Jesus. So if that's you, then go ahead and pray with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I trust it in your hands. Please forgive me for everything I've done and help me to walk with you. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for dying for me Thank you for rising from the dead and giving me new life. Bring me into your family and help me to live for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.